Yeah, so if you need a Bible this morning, uh, there in the rack in front of you, the black ones are uh, Bibles. You'll find this passage on page 924. Um, it's our tradition to publicly uh, read the Word of God, um, believing in the Holy Spirit's power that it is fully sufficient and complete. And, uh, and we come alongside of it in both awe and great humility. So if you will, let's turn to chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Thanks, Craig. Decision fatigue is real. I rehearsed that in my head and thought there would be a resounding amen, at at least from the parents, maybe some who we just saw here. We live in a culture and a community that seems to demand that every day is filled with decisions. And if that's a new term to you, decision, in decision-making and psychology, decision fatigue refers to the deteriorating quality of decisions made by an individual after a long session of decision-making. And now the parents can say, amen. Especially with these little people living in our house where we're making decisions for two, three, four, or more people. They may be small decisions, but it builds up over time. So when it comes to the big decisions, do we have any bandwidth left? Maybe you're not a parent, but simply in the day-to-day Uh, life that you live in this culture Uh, how do we make these big decisions how do we process i wonder if anyone here you know going out on a limb has has a big decision ahead of them Uh, maybe it has a specific due date you know for example this summer Catherine and i had kind of had this set due date of august 1st whether we would enroll freddie into kindergarten or another year of preschool. He's got one of those weird summer birthdays that allows parents to make the decision. And so with the Lord, we were seeking him and praying. Uh, we, I guess, kind of put the August 1st deadline on our calendar. Um, I guess we could have waited a few more weeks if we really wanted to procrastinate, but we were just trusting the Lord. Well, that's come and gone, and we've made a decision. And we'll have some impact on Freddie. So in the scheme of things, uh, maybe small, but for us, kind of a big one. But maybe the rest of you or some of you have a decision that's a little less specific, 
but could be big. Maybe it's hanging out there. The will I leave my job kind of decision. Will I change directions in my career? Will I need to go back to school in order to do that or get additional schooling in order to advance into this field or this direction? Will I move my family or my home, whether it's to a a place that might afford us a few more opportunities, or whether it's to be closer to family. Uh, will I uproot my current family and my current position? Uh, will we pursue expanding our family even further uh, or at all? So those kinds of decisions. They may not have a, a deadline or a date on them. We might put them on those decisions, but I'm, I'm guessing that that is pretty normal for the way that we live our life, that many of us are right in those places with big decisions looming. Some of you have come through those recently. How did you make those decisions? How do you? Is it by gut or by God? The reality is probably somewhere in between. But what should it be? We know the right answer. Of course, I I, want to hear from the Lord. I would love to have some form of vision or sign that just makes it clear. Uh, We see that in the passage this morning. How do we make these kinds of decisions if we're told that we are to follow the Holy Spirit and rely on Him. For example, Paul says in Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.8 and following, again Paul says, walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk with the Lord, keep in step with the Spirit, understand what His will is, discern what is pleasing to Him. How? How do we do that? It's another example of the Bible tells us all that we need to know, but not always what we want to know. And where the Bible is silent, it is also instructive. When the Bible doesn't speak to procedures, but it gives Direction, what do we do? At minimum, we pray more, don't we? And perhaps that's why there's so few procedural instructions within Scripture that we would hear the Word and then say, how, Lord, and continue to seek Him to fulfill what He wants for us. And I'm sure any teaching about knowing the Spirit's voice and relying on Him and following Him must begin here. All things by prayer. But I assume that these two statements are true for you. I am praying, and I'm probably not praying enough. And so end of sermon, right? We can just go right there and say, let's go. Let's continue to pray and seek the Lord and we'll find out what the Holy Spirit Wants, but I think there's a little bit more through his word that I can give to you today. I may not be able to give you an answer. In fact, I'm certain that I can't, but I wonder if today the Holy Spirit would be prompting or clarifying one of those big decisions that maybe you weren't even coming in this morning saying, Lord, I'd like to hear from you on this one. I'm done going around the block on it. I'd like a sign, a vision, a clear, a clear word from you. The Holy Spirit can do that today. I won't presume that he will or how many of you he will speak to, but I believe he wants to speak. And so if you have that decision or that weight upon you, keep that in your vision, in your heart as you engage now with his word. And Lord, I pray, I pray that you would speak. We open up our, our, our ears, our minds, our hearts. Lord, I've prepared words on a page, but I 
Pray that they would now be translated through the power of your Spirit. And just like Spirit, what you did to Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, you forbid them to move. You forbid, forbid me to speak something that is not from you and is not honoring to you. Lord, for your glory alone, we submit to your word, but more importantly, to who you are and what you are doing in our midst today. Amen. Like all of Acts, well, almost all of Acts, and we've said this many times, chapter 16 is description, not prescription. Understand the difference? It describes what happened, but not what always happens. If God always made His will known in the same way, and if we look at this passage and put that in a declarative way for us today, we prescribe it, then we wait for a vision, don't we? We wait for some form of dream or vision to get our attention, and we don't have to pray much. We just have to be patient. Easier said than done, but better than wondering, isn't it, if that was the way God always spoke and revealed His will. Acts is full of big decisions. Maybe even life-altering, history-changing decisions. We think of the Jerusalem Council that we just recently studied in Acts 15. We can go all the way back to Acts 1 when the apostles chose the replacement for Judas. There was a big decision for the church. Acts 8, and these are some highlights of ones that I could, I could think of just running through uh, the book of Acts. Philip's ministry in Samaria and the way he, he followed the Spirit's lead. In Acts 10, Peter doing the same thing, uh, seeing a vision, being faithful, following the Spirit's leading. The Antioch church sending, making the decision to send their best, Paul and Barnabas, out of their church when the natural inclination would be to keep them in-house. That's a big decision. In Acts 15, we just looked at this, the end of chapter 15, a big decision. We might call it a big division. Paul and Barnabas decided to part ways and split the work in the efforts, in the missionary efforts that they were about. And here we have in chapter 16, just these first few verses, a few more big decisions. The decision to return to Derby and Lystra and Phrygia and Galatia. Remember what happened when they were in those cities? Great persecution. That wasn't a small decision, though we read it like it was one. Of course, they would go back to these places and strengthen up the churches that had been planted, but there had to have been concern or, or, or potential fear or hesitation we know what our reputation is in those cities and what happened last time we went. If we go back there, we put ourselves right back on the front line and we'll see that happen. They're risking their lives for the sake of the gospel. That's a big decision. The decision to circumcise Timothy. At least for Timmy, this is a lasting decision. Let me say just one word on that because that's not the thrust of this message or this passage at first, it might read, if you've been tracking through Acts, like Paul is compromising the gospel here that they just settled at the Jerusalem council. No, circumcision is of no value anymore. We are free in Christ. What is he doing having Timothy, now a grown man, a young man, but a grown man, be circumcised? First of all, Timothy probably should have been. His mother was a Jew. His, his father was a Greek. Maybe his father's not around uh, anymore. He's pa passed on. But for whatever reason, he hasn't been circumcised. Timothy has probably become a believer on the first missionary journey. So for, it's now been maybe a year where he's been following Jesus faithfully. And so Paul likely knew him, maybe even baptized him when he was coming through that area before. And maybe they've stayed in touch. 
But Paul now sees him as a viable companion to join him, to come along with him. Now that Barnabas has parted and they've gone different directions, he's building his team again. And Paul is strategic, though he's not compromising the gospel, he's willing to contextualize the gospel, knowing that they have ministry now to both Jews and Greeks as they go into these new regions. And this would be a stumbling block for many Jews that this man who claims to be Jewish has not been circumcised. And for the Jews, Paul wanted to reach them as, without any kind of stumbling block. Paul was willing to do that. In, in 1 Corinthians 9, right, he famously said, I am willing to become all things to all people if it enables the saving of some. So it's a strategic effort. And clearly, Timothy shared that conviction because he was willing to go through with it, knowing that this would not compromise the gospel. Now, they must have trusted in word of mouth because I'm not sure. I always hesitate. How, how did they know? But that's a different, it's a different sermon. Okay, number three, another big decision. This is really the core of the text that I want to spend the remainder of our time on. I went looking through commentaries and through a, a number of sermons. There's so little spoken about these couple brief phrases that to me have always just jumped off the page as I read through Acts and I ask the how question. How did this happen? And then the why question. Why did this happen? They make the decision to go on after visiting these churches. That's a big decision, by the way. To continue on in the effort to go into new regions for the the hope of the gospel and the sake of the gospel. Their, Their plan is now to go throughout Asia. God ends up redirecting them, sending them over to Macedonia, which would be modern day Europe. So the gospel is expanding now further beyond the continents. Clearly the spirit is involved with this leading, but they've been following him all along. And those couple phrases, the Holy Spirit forbid them to move on, restricted them to be translated various ways. To use the language of Paul as he uses elsewhere, closed a door, kept them from going where they thought they were being called to go. Those, those phrases have always just jumped off the page to me. Have they, for, for some of you? Why, Lord? What were you doing? What does that mean? There's some speculation. We can't dig too far into the speculation, though it may be interesting. I do want to say that all of these decisions, both in Acts 16, 15, all the way back to Acts 1, these big decisions that we see, did you notice that none of them were made really the same way? God didn't interact with them in the same way. Sometimes there was a vision or like a word, almost an audible voice from the Lord. Those would be the easy ones to respond to, wouldn't they? How many of you have prayed for, God, just speak that I hear, that I don't even have any any doubt what you want me to do? Anyone want to admit that? I, I wish the Lord would speak that way all the time. And for some of you, how many of you feel like you have one of those kinds of stories? I don't know if anyone else in the room would have heard the audible voice, but you're like, I, I heard something. I, I believe, or there was such a deep impression upon your heart that the Spirit was speaking. You don't want to raise your hand. You have to give that testimony later to those that ask you around you. So it's a little bit of a faith-filled risk to do that. I, I sometimes also wonder when God speaks in those kinds of ways. Was I even listening before, Lord? If you had to, if you had to shout at me like that. I think that these missionaries, these apostles, they were seeking the Lord. They were listening to him. Sometimes he revealed his will and visions 
and through audible type words, through a message, through a deep sense of conviction upon someone's heart that then is confirmed in the body. Other times it seems like the Spirit is silent altogether. In Acts 15, that was a pretty significant moment. And the way that reads is the Spirit didn't speak. There was no vision. There was no sign. They actually came together to pray, to seek Him, to dialogue if not debate on this matter of circumcision and observance of the ceremonial law or not for the Gentiles. But they came to conclusion and they even said, we came to this place and now we believe it pleases the Holy Spirit. He has been with us in this. In the same way as if he had revealed a vision. So none of these have been made the same way. God doesn't interact with his people the same way. Oh, great. So now what? Well, sometimes they wait, wait, wait patiently. Other times they take faith-filled risk and go. They're models for us. And again, we say Acts is narrative. Therefore, it is descriptive, not prescriptive. But that doesn't mean that it's not intended to be normative. Luke, when he wrote this, from his perspective, this is the Christian life. This is normal, air quotes. This is what it looks like. Jesus has come. He's lived, he's died, he's accomplished our salvation through his blood. The new covenant is here. He is now ascended and seated, ruling and reigning. He's given us a commission. He's promised the Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit has come. He is working in power in us, through us, to advance the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, to go throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we are seeing that happen. Right? This is now normative. That's what Luke is writing to us. Here's what it looks like. Here's what following and relying on the Holy Spirit looks like for the church. And it's a beautiful picture. A diverse, eclectic picture. And his church resembles that even to this day. We must rely on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not done working. He is not withdrawn the commands of Scripture are continuous and constant in this. All the way back into the Old Testament, Zechariah 4, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That would have all new meaning now that the Holy Spirit is present and in power for His church. Is it possible that we're living primarily according to our own might and our own power? Relying on earthly wisdom for decision-making, making, or if that works for you too. Not spirit-leading. Deduction, not discernment. That's always possible. I'd say it's our default, even if it's not our desire. But that's not what we want, is it? We're not satisfied with ordinary. We long for extraordinary. We're not content with temporal impact. We want eternal not natural results, supernatural. There's a reason you're here today. I don't know if some of you got dragged along because family members were celebrating a baby. But you're here for a reason. The Spirit wants to speak to you and encourage you, if not challenge and convict you. We must rely on the Spirit. The Bible tells us to. The early church models it for us, especially in passages like this one. And then we're left to flounder. And this picture just came to mind and I think appropriate for today. When the nurse or the doctor hands you your first baby, or they, heck, the second, third, fourth, doesn't matter, and they say, 
congratulations. I've always wondered why they don't say, good luck. <laughs> I mean, it does, there's, there's no instruction manual, and especially when it's your first. You, you know, I mean, you, no, I should say, you're pretty sure that others have figured it out. You know you've gleaned something from family, from friends. I mean, there's been a process. You weren't surprised. There's been a process of leading up to that moment. You've tried to glean something from friends, family, books, a mere observance. But in that moment, that seems absolutely unhelpful. Especially as you're driving away from the hospital or that first night. And Catherine reminds me, I don't even remember this, but we got home into the parsonage with our first, Ella, and I gave her a tour of the house and showed her where everything was. <laughs> and you laugh, it seems normal to me. She wasn't going to tour the house by herself and she knew where nothing was. <laughs> so beyond a whole lot of prayer, and that's point one, by the way, if you're following along, this isn't a pointless sermon, Beyond a whole lot of prayer, be encouraged. That's point two. You want to know the Spirit's voice. You want to become confident in His leading. Experience and discern His presence and His power. It's possible. It's possible not just to survive, but to thrive. The Scriptures don't command the impossible. But like parenting, if we want to tread on that analogy... It may take a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of patience. We may not know what we're doing most of the time or even have a direct instruction that we're trying to follow. It will soften us. It will humble us. It may even break us, which might be exactly what we need in order to hear from Him. These men didn't learn to follow the Spirit and to trust His voice overnight. This was years and years of practice. And they still weren't certain, even when a vision came. They still interacted humbly. And I love that. A vision came, like we, we, I pray for a vision and a sign. Paul got one. And yet with his team, they concluded, was this from the Lord? Yes, this is from the Lord. The Spirit is sending us. They still processed through it because they know their propensity to not hear correctly. And they're willing to grow in order to be faithful and to follow. So, be encouraged, don't give up, don't lose heart, don't be anxious, be faithful. You're not going to get there next week or next year. By the way, you're not alone, we're all in this together. We shouldn't be trying to do it alone. I think that's point five, I may skip that one. If you've learned an instrument, take piano for example, you're not going to be playing Beethoven concertos next week. But chopsticks is within range. If you've learned a new language, you know that dreaming in that language is kind of a sign of immersion, fluency. You're not going to get there next week or next month, but you might be able to read road signs and get where you want to go. Paul was never done growing. He was always growing both in humility and in faith. In Philippians 3, this is later that he writes this. He's in prison now, writing to the Philippian church. He says, in Philippians 3.12 and following, not that I have already obtained all this. He's been writing, exhorting them. 
as if I've gotten there, he says. Not that I, I haven't arrived. I'm still, wor- I'm, still, I'm still not perfect in this. I press on, though. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You hear that longing and openness to grow and to still have not arrived. After all he's seen and experienced and done and accomplished, he's still growing. So be encouraged. Pray, be encouraged. How about some conviction? The scripture does that, doesn't it? It just perfectly balances that, just as Jesus did. Encouragement and conviction just come together. And so we receive both. There's never any condemnation, and they never meant to be one without the other. So the conviction. Are you on mission? Now that's point three. Prayer. Encouragement. Don't give up. Process. Are you on mission? Every one of the big decisions we see in Acts is in the context of fulfilling Christ's mission. Every one of them. And does that mean that the Spirit doesn't speak if you're not actively on mission or evangelizing? No. That would be taking description and then making it prescription we're not going to do that but it's right probably to evaluate to ask those questions if you're in a place right now with a big decision you're saying i don't i don't know what the spirit wants i don't don't even know if he's present it'd be right to ask these evaluating questions of our life lord am i on mission does this decision have anything to do with putting me into position to reach the lost the last the least that's, that's, who we see the, that's when we see the Spirit manifest Himself through Acts, it's primarily in those contexts. When the leaders and apostles are going to the last, the lost, and the least and ministering and meeting them, the Spirit shows up. The other times we see them is when they are hungry for Him, calling out to Him, waiting upon Him. Fill us, Lord. We see the body doing that. So those are right questions to be asking of ourselves as we're seeking to make decisions. That doesn't mean we won't have decisions we know we need to make that we're not sure quite how they line up with, with God's plan, but we know he's led us here and so we walk in faith. We should evaluate our holiness. The Holy Spirit. Are we seeking the Holy Spirit or just some spiritual fuzz? And if we're seeking the Holy Spirit, are we holy? I'm not talking about being good, for there is none who are good. Well, there's one who is good. Our holiness is rooted in Jesus. It has been accomplished. Our righteousness is found in Him. So are we walking as Jesus walked? Are we living as He called us to live? And primarily, our holiness, are we on mission? And are we walking in mercy, grace, forgiveness, personal repentance? Right questions to be asking as we're seeking the Spirit's voice. And remember, the Spirit will not always speak in the same way, sometimes he may get our attention in different ways. My friend John Stumbo, who's leading this movement of the Alliance, he said this, he said, we better not tell the Holy Spirit what he must do, as if through the way that we pray or the right words or the right emotion or the right rhythms we come to church, we read his word, we're on our knees, whatever that is. We, may, we, we better not tell the Holy Spirit what he must do as if we could um, prescribe for him, as if, it's, as if it's a recipe. But we better not tell him what he can't do. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't speak like that anymore. Uh, that, was a, that was a special time. I've never seen it, so he must not. This is the living God with us we're talking about. Uh, point four, if, if we're following on some points. God opens doors and closes doors. So I titled it that. This has been so integral to a part of, of Catherine and I's life and seeking to discern him. And it's very biblical. This concept comes in Acts really first, I think, most clearly. At the end of Paul's first missionary journey, Acts 14, verse 27 when they had arrived, they gathered the whole church together. This is back in Antioch. And they declared that God, what God had done for them. And they said it this way. He has opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And so if you've used that kind of language, God, I'm looking for open doors or closed doors. It is biblical. And here we get, see again in chapter 16, two closed doors and one open one. And again, we're not told. Here's where that, some of that speculation comes in. The Spirit forbid them, would not allow them. That's pretty strong language. It's a door closed. They're, they're trying to move into new regions in Asia, whether they've just said, hey, what do you think? Where should we go next? But they're on mission here. They're not doing this for selfish gain. So they know they're going where God has called them to go. He sent them to be missionaries. But there seemed to be freedom to go and where, what seems best. The Spirit is redirecting them. But we don't know. Was it weather that was poor, that they simply could not get there was it roads that were closed roads weren't what they are today anyone done any international travel Uh, there's some impassable roads for no reason and sometimes can never be avoided right so is it travel difficulties or other things sickness on the team or is it something more spiritual a deep just unsettledness as they began to head toward a city every one of them just felt unrest by it But a minimum, they were talking and sharing and praying as they were trying to discern the Spirit. So we don't know, and there's probably a reason why we're not told. So that we wouldn't simply say, that's the way God closes doors. We're so quick to prescribe, aren't we? Certainly Paul and Silas and Timothy, and now Luke, by the way. Did you notice that shift? Maybe not. This is the first time you'll see the we language. Luke has joined them in this journey. It's very subtle about it. He doesn't kind of announce his arrival, but he does shift from they, they, they to we, we, we. So he is there with them in this journey. So these four men and maybe others, but these four men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they're on mission. They're going where God has called them to. They're willing to take faith-filled risk, all of this in prayer, following the Spirit. This has got to be discouraging, doesn't it? Now the, the door has been closed. Jesus, what are you doing what are you up to? How many of you have been in places where you feel like, God, you led me here. I know, I know it, but now this gives me pause. It's like a door has been slammed in my face. We can be doing exactly what God has called us to. Have the right posture and be in the right place. And it's not the right timing. Or, and probably, and or, the Spirit and Jesus want to grow us in dependence on Him. It's not meant to be easy. Never will be. I don't know how many of you read the post from Jeff Smith this morning. He's about a week behind, he says, tracking with us through this journey. So, hi Jeff, we love you. This has been a hard week for them. And he reminded uh, us of a word that Otis Brown, our friend pastor over at Holly Park, said to him as they commissioned him, that when when you circle a place on the map that God is sending you into, so think of these missionaries, they're circling some places on their maps, that God is sending you into, you're not the only one circling that place. 
the enemy is circling that too. And so we pray for the Smith family. Please, I invite you to just continue to uplift them that they would not be listening to the lies of the enemy as they are on mission. But right now it doesn't feel like it. They said they're having a hard time sensing where the Spirit is in their midst. And we know that's not God's will. So pray deeply. But we can all probably resonate to a degree. Maybe not with moving across the world to Zimbabwe. But to a degree of, God, I think, I thought you called me here. And this door now seems to be closed. Am I supposed to push? Is it cracked? And what does that do except for, Lord, help me to bring us to our knees. If doors are wide open, we may not pause to cry out to him. We may forget that he is with us, not just sent us. And for Catherine and I, I've seen this so many different ways as we prayed and sought him. And it's okay to pray kind of both ways. When we were in Appleton uh, nine years ago, praying about, God, where do you have us? Where are you calling? Where are you leading? Opportunities were in front of us. We were praying for open doors and clarity, and God opened a door. And more recently in our life, when Catherine had the opportunity to go back and back to school, one of those kind of big hanging decisions, and the door seemed to be open. We were praying for him to close the door. Oh, Lord, we don't want to do this if it's not clearly you. And he didn't. And so sometimes you get the opposite of what you pray for. Sometimes you get what you pray for. The main thing is you're on your knees. You're calling out to him. You're seeking him. And discerning through open and closed doors is a very healthy and biblical approach. Not the only Again, not prescriptive, but descriptive of a way we follow the Spirit and grow with Him. So point four or five, I've lost track, you can tell me. Um, Remember that we're not alone. We need one another. I've preached on that so many times now, it doesn't need to be preached here. Maybe Just maybe a reminder. We have these big decisions. I'm not sure how much we invite others in. One, are others, do others know us and are we known that we can invite one another? This is where growth groups and life groups should be so vital for us. What I, what I know my default is, and maybe you can resonate, is you go and you share that you have a big decision, but you'd actually never invite counsel. Oh, we've got this big decision we're making. We're really praying. Would you pray for us? We want that kind of help, but that keeps people at distance. That doesn't invite in. Now, some pushy, nosy people, biblical people, will kind of speak in and encourage anyway and say, have you thought of what if, or especially if, I have, a, I have a check in my spirit or, or something's heavy about that. I don't know. I submit to you. Do we go and do we invite? Hey, we've got this big decision. Uh, we need your prayer, but would you also counsel us? Speak to us? Is there something we, we're missing? What do you think? Let's be humble and let's do this thing together. The apostles did. Paul had the vision. I think he was pretty certain. That'd be my guess. Paul was kind of a decision maker, kind of driven. But he still went to his team and said, guys, I had this vision. What do you think? Macedonia. I wasn't circling that. What, is this the spirit? We're sensing him closed doors. Is this the open one? And they all agreed as they sought the spirit together. Ephesians 4, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love until it all reaches maturity. I just picked one. There's so many scriptures encouragements for the body, for the family doing life together. Finally, and whatever number this is, last point. Faith before certainty. Okay, there's a reason it's kind of here tagged at the end. We want to be people who walk in faith and take faith-filled risks. But faith before certainty. Not faith before praying. Not faith before hearing and listening. Not faith before waiting. Faith before certainty. 
And sometimes we will be certain. But as we see, even with a vision, we may still submit and question. Am I clear on that? Invite others in. That's good. But we may be 99% certain, but what about that piece? And other times, we may be very uncertain altogether. (laughs) Will we walk in faith? And sometimes that will be taking big steps of faith, like we see the apostles here. A couple others come to mind from Scripture. Do you remember in Joshua 3, maybe not obscure a little bit, but they're going into the promised land. They meet with the Lord. He speaks to them, kind of the way he's been doing things. And he tells the priests to go down to the Jordan River. It's flood time, so the river's as high as it's going to be. And to walk into the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And he will deliver them. He will stop up the waters like he had done before, doing it a little bit different this way. He's a creative God. And he's going to lead them into the promised land that he's been promising for a generation. But so they come to the edge of the river and the river is flowing at flood height. And it's not until they step into the river carrying the ark, which if you know any of the history was kind of something to take seriously. You didn't want to stumble. And until they step into those waters, the waters keep flowing. I think that picture is just so powerful. As they've heard from the Lord, they've listened, they've sought him, they only want to follow him. They actually, there's a big mission and war coming. I mean, they're not maybe excited about this, but they know God is in this. But in that very moment at the river's edge, it doesn't look like it. You ever been in that kind of place? God, I thought we heard from you so clearly and you've moved and you have opened doors, you've closed others, and now I'm here at the edge of the river and this doesn't look like it. You want me to step there? You want me to go? And he works in a miraculous way. And then I think of the picture of Jonathan in, a little bit later in Israel's story in 1 Samuel 14 where Jonathan says to his young man who's with him, and they're in the middle of a, a, a war and now they're about to enter into a battle. He says, come, let us go over to this garrison of the uncircumcised Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us. I love that phrase. I mean, it challenges me. It convicts me. It may be. God hadn't spoken to that battle. They were in a war and they knew God's promise for them, but he hadn't promised safety. Samuel's taking a step of faith, faith faith-filled risk. It may be that God wants to do something right now in this place. Let's go. Putting his life on the line without hearing clearly from the Lord. These, I hesitate with these examples. I think they're powerful for us. They challenge. But not all decisions we make are step into the Jordan River at flood time decisions to go into battle. They're, they're not decisions to risk our life. If God doesn't show up, whoops. Okay, not all decisions are like that. Maybe very few. Maybe that's why they're captured in Scripture. But how do we discern where the Spirit is? How do we hear His voice and respond to Him by faith We follow many of these steps, and these weren't an exhaustive exhaustive discourse on discerning the Spirit's leading. They will take time and patience often. But I hope we will be people who will take faith-filled risks before certainty. Otherwise, we may, may never step at all. Because I wonder if, for many of us, we've taken every other step. We've patiently prayed 
We've pursued God's will. We've watched for and asked for open doors and closed doors. We've sought humbly the counsel of others or the encouragement and prayers of others. We've, we've walked this out and now we are waiting and waiting and waiting. For what? For the vision? For that clear sign? And this is where it gets real and where I don't, I don't answer your question, but maybe the Spirit does. Because some of you will need to keep waiting. And others of you will need to respond as the Spirit is saying to you, take that step. Go on up. You've been waiting to hear that. And He's saying it, not me. He's saying that today to you. Let's respond to Him. Let's respond to His voice. And I suppose there's a couple ways to come to the table today as we do, if you're a guest with us, we do every Sunday. We come to the table in remembrance because we're so prone to forget what Jesus has done for us and what He is still doing. It gives us hope that we are in Him and with Him. So some of you will come to the table saying, Jesus, I need Your strength because You've spoken and You're leading. I need Your strength to go and take that step, to walk in faith. Some may come in repentance saying, I know You called me to this a long time ago. You made it clear and I've been hesitating Because maybe that step of faith you know is God's will, but it's not exactly exciting or is hard or uncertain. You just don't know. Others of you will come saying, Jesus, I just want to hear you. And you're maybe anywhere along the process of discerning his voice. Holy Spirit, speak. Open my ears, open my heart. And as you take communion, as you take and eat and receive what Jesus has done, may it be active and empowering these next steps into our life. Let's not be rushing out the doors if we don't have to, although some of you will, and God bless you. But let's linger, the team. I'll invite the team to come up. We have about three songs to soak in that, to come to the table at any point, to receive, whether it's alone, you're not alone. We can't fit around one table today, so we come to this one. Or whether it's with friends and family in your pew. There's elements there in the back. And we have a chance to give, as we do every Sunday, as a response to God's work in our life. It's encouraging to be able to give something tangibly when we know God has given to us so much. That's a privilege of the family here, the body. So if you're a guest with us today, please don't give. This is is just an honor to be able to continue to support the work God is doing here and beyond. If you're stirred to give, fine, but this is our privilege as as family here. And if you need prayer, uh, I know these guys will make it difficult to pray for one another without shouting, but I like to shout prayers. So if you need prayer, come tap me on the shoulder, Pastor Craig, or just find me afterward. I'd love to pray with you if you're feeling this decision that God has spoken and now you're like, I need extra help here. Let's go, because uh, I know I'm hesitant to do this on my own. Please come. Let me pray. And guys, you can lead us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not silent. There's, there's so many things we want to know more of, Lord. We cry out to you, help us clarify, speak, open doors, reveal, but thank you that you are not silent. Your word is sound and it is true and it is good. I thank you for that. You've not left us alone either, though sometimes we don't sense you with us. Holy Spirit, your promise is you are here. We pray that we would be more aware of your presence. We would experience more of your power in our life. First, to convict and to humble, to lead us to repentance, to turn and rely more on you, and also the power to do what you've called us to do, to fulfill the mission that is so big and so daunting. And ultimately, you will fulfill, but you invite us into it. Help us, Lord. And I pray specifically for individuals or families where you are speaking, 
And there's a decision to make, and maybe for some it's exciting, but there's still uncertainty and fear, just like there always has been for your people trying to discern your voice. But you've given us your spirit, and not a spirit of timidity, but one of power and clarity. So Lord, speak. Lord, encourage. Lord, build up your body and send us here for the work you have for us, for your glory and our joy. Amen.